Well, welcome to another edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and so glad you are back at it now. Uh, this is the first full week of the month, of course. Hope you had a wonderful uh, Independence Day holiday and uh, holiday week. I know a lot of people got away, got out of town, uh, you know, with the holiday happening on a Tuesday. Um, it's, it makes perfect sense that people would, uh, uh, you know, have a chance to go and enjoy, you know, camping or whatever it is you wanted to do for the whole week. And so now we're back in it. And uh, now it's, it's very interesting to see. We're going to take a look th- today here on the program. Um, it is a Movie Monday per se, but we're going to forego Movie Monday this week. Um, simply because there's so many new releases that are out and about. We're going to get back into it next week. But I wanted to kick off today's program by letting you know about a few laws that have gone into effect in California. A lot of people don't realize that here in the People's Republic of California, our fiscal year uh, runs from July 1st through June 30th. And the federal government fiscal year runs uh, October 1st through September 30th. But uh, we're on a July through June fiscal year. And so that means when laws are passed, when they are enacted, they go into effect typically on July 1st. And we're going to take a look at some of the more unusual laws uh, that might, uh, this is something we usually do in July, uh, so that might impact you, that might have an impact on us, and especially on our faith. Because as more and more people are beginning to realize that uh, it's tougher and tougher for uh, them to just enjoy the liberty that we, you know, hold dear, uh, the religious liberty. I mean, it's one of the things that we celebrated on Independence Day. And, and a lot of people on the left forget this. Um, it, it takes a while for people who are leftists, who are anti-religion, though they don't realize that leftism or progressivism has become their religion. I mean, everybody worships someone or something. I mean, that's just, I, I, that's, that's anecdotal, but I, I don't know that there are too many people who would disagree with that. The, 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 whether it's political fanaticism or, or uh, the love of money or, you know, whatever it is, everybody has something that they do, in fact, worship, something that guides you, that directs you, uh, whether it's the almighty dollar or getting your candidate elected or whatever it is. For us as Christians, first and foremost, our allegiance is with the Lord. And so in theory, when you see what happens in the political world or the economic world or the entertainment world or whatever, what we do or don't support, it should flow from a biblical worldview that says, I'm a sinner, I can't free myself, I need salvation. The only reason I know that is because God has given me the gift of faith and uh, the, it opens my eyes. It says, wait a minute, I trust that what God is telling me is true, first and foremost. I mean, you can't make the decision for Christ, so to say, so to speak, um, without having that knowledge that you have need for a savior. Left to our sinful desires, um, I, well, I'll give you an example of this, and, and this is something I'm learning a lot more as I get older, because now with grandchildren, we have, we, Lisa and I have three grandchildren uh, that are under the age of five right now. Isaac will be six in a couple of weeks, but Zipporah is two and a half, and uh, Nazareth is, um, is uh, almost nine months old. And it's interesting because because the fact that he lives in Texas, you know, and Papa's in California, we've seen each other on FaceTime, but we took some time last week um, over the holiday weekend to uh, uh, make the journey to Texas to spend some time with the Texas grandkids. And it was a lot of fun. I mean, I get to hold my grandson for the first time and it was really sweet and uh, it was it was wonderful. It's also interesting to watch kids at that age developing their motor skills, of course, and their cognitive reasoning and all sorts, you know, object permanence, all those things that we learned when we were little that you don't think about learning. You know, as you're older, you don't remember having to learn how to potty train or anything like that. But watching how the process works, you know, and, and to see the things that are 
fascinating to kids. And, you know, in, in Naz's case, he's, uh, he's crawling. Um, it's interesting to see him crawling forward uh, when uh, his cousin, uh, when Isaac was crawling, Isaac was a scooter. He used to scoot backwards a lot uh, before he started moving forward. He was probably a year old before he f- started crawling forward, and then he got up and started running, and now he won't stop. Um, in Nazareth's case, Nazareth's case, he w- he's eight months old. He crawls forward. You know, he does army crawl. He does, he's he's definitely moving in that direction. But it's interesting to see how the kids are learning those things, and how they have to learn boundaries, because to them everything is I want this, I want this. This feels good. I'm drawn toward things that feel good. I'm I, I'm uh, repulsed by or repelled from things that don't feel good. It's really very primal. You could see that there isn't a moral compass, per se. You know, and if there were, kids would be born perfectly good. You know, we wouldn't have to do any uh, child rearing. You know, <laughs> we just <laughs> wind them up and let them go. But anybody who needs evidence that we live in a sinful, fallen world just has to take a look at the uh, the sinfulness, if you will, the selfishness of young children. And they need guidance and they need someone to show them there's a more excellent way. And it's fun to watch them have that aha connection. You know, I haven't seen uh, granddaughter Zipporah in 10 months and uh, it, it took her a while to get used to Papa's no again, you know, but once she did, it was like, okay, we don't slam doors in the house and we don't, you know, uh, leave a mess, you know, wherever we go. And, and I, I say all that to say this, when it comes to, you know, the, the way the culture works right now, there are a lot of people who are saying, hey, I, I don't want to be living in a culture where my values are disrupted by government. And, you know, because I know as a Christian, God loved me enough to give me the gift of faith to realize that I'm a sinner and I need salvation and, and then gave the gift of salvation in the form of uh, the Jesus Christ's blood on the cross and his death and resurrection. Christ emerging from the grave, you know, conquering death, and, and I get to claim that victory and how wonderful that is. But when you see people who don't have that in their lives and they're making laws and they're giving speeches and they're controlling the media, then it makes it tougher and tougher and tougher and tougher for us in the body of Christ to hear the truth or for people outside the church to hear the truth. And that's why it's important that we do what we do here at the Bottom Line Show and all of the Crawford programs as well to look at life through the lens of Scripture and then uh, explain what's happening in the world best we can. If you want any uh, just example of man's inhumanity against man and how far we've drifted from uh, the word of God, I mean, here's a case that actually is one of the worst of its kind, and it happened right here in our own backyard. Uh, a California man has pleaded guilty to hiding his mother's death for more than three decades in a scheme a U.S. attorney said is believed to be the longest-running and largest fraud of its kind in the district. David Felix Zampach of Poway, which, of course, you know, in San Diego County, collected over $830,000 of public funds and also was able to open credit card accounts and use them to the tune of $30,000 over the course of three decades. In 1990, his mother passed away. She was in Japan at the time. And he actually, he, he reached a plea bargain here, so he's going to do some time and he's going to have to pay back the money that he took. Shortly before his mother passed away, David or Donald Zompak transferred the ownership of her home to himself. And as soon as he did, he then filed for Chapter 7 bankruptcy. Now, if you've ever been through a Chapter 7, 
uh, you know that uh, typically when it comes to debts affiliated with Chapter 7 bankruptcy, um, the home gets a special treatment. You know, the, the idea that it's credit card debt, card loans, this, that, and the other thing. You can't go bankrupt on tax debt. You can't go bankrupt on student loan debt, to my knowledge. But when it comes to all other kinds of debts, you can do so. But Chapter 7 oftentimes will let the one who files um, not have to give up their home. And so Donald Zompak did his homework. He knew his mother was in Japan. He knew she was in poor health. He knew that she wouldn't be living much longer. He transferred the ownership fraudulently of her home into his name and then filed for bankruptcy on his debt. After his mother's death, he never canceled her bank accounts. He forged her signature and continued to collect her Social Security and her military pension. He did this for more than 30 years. So basically, he, he paid tax on the money. He actually made it look like she was still alive. The checks were still coming into her account. And you know how it is with banks. I mean, there's so much we could do electronically now. If she had a direct deposit on the Social Security and on the military pension, they would never... She could have gone years without ever going to a bank and anyone having seen her, let alone, you know, if you're part of a big, you know, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, there are branches everywhere. Go to different states if you want to into your banking. But basically what he did was he, uh, again, this is according to the statement from the uh, U.S. Attorney Randy Grossman, he said, this defendant didn't just passively collect checks mailed to his deceased mother. This was an elaborate fraud spanning more than three decades that required aggressive action and deceit to maintain the ruse. He is currently out on bail. He's set to be sentenced on September the 20th. Um, as part of the plea agreement, as you can imagine, he's going to be required to forfeit the home. He's still living in the house. They're going to sell the home, and then they're going to put the proceeds of the home toward the $830,000 in restitution he has to pay the federal government. Did I mention he also opened up those credit cards and charged up nearly $30,000 in charges on his mother's name? It's amazing how someone not telling the truth in one area led to all this different fraud. And the government got involved and shut it down. But what happens when you find yourself in a situation where someone is telling the truth? Someone is actually speaking the word of God and people don't want to hear it. They want to shut it down. Well, welcome to the Old Testament prophets Ezra and Nehemiah. That is exactly their lot that we read about in the Old Testament. And yet, rather than tearing something down, they were trying to rebuild what was ruined. Dr. Ian Duguid is going to join me next to talk about a new study guide on Ezra and Nehemiah, the subtitle, Rebuilding What's Ruined. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Let's get into that conversation coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. One of the greatest gifts that we can give to an expectant mother is the gift of the first picture she'll ever have of her son or daughter in the womb. That comes through an ultrasound, and our friends at Preborn have an opportunity for us to make more of these ultrasounds a reality. Every time you give a donation of $28 to Preborn, that means one more ultrasound can take place. But how about giving enough money for an ultrasound machine? The cost is $15,000. It's a sizable investment. But every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year, 
and lasts at least 10 years. Now take that cost $15,000 and divide that by 2,500. Okay, now you begin to see how the cost per ultrasound goes down even more once we have more ultrasound machines to donate into preborn clinics. Make a donation right now to preborn. It's completely tax deductible, and every penny, every dollar you donate right now is going to the purchase of an ultrasound machine. 833-850-BABY is the number to call. 833-850-2229 or go to kbrightradio.com. That's K-B-R-I-T-E radio.com. Click on the banner for Preborn and make your best donation right now. $25, $50, $100, it all counts towards saving babies' lives. kbrightradio.com, hit the Preborn banner right now. Well, today here on The Bottom Line, going to talk about a couple of Old Testament books that often don't get a lot of limelight, but uh, I think they certainly deserve them, especially when you consider that uh, oftentimes when we study the book of Ezra and the book of Nehemiah, we kind of might read them sequentially and say there's a lot of... uh, repetition, maybe some overlap to it. have a brand new book to talk about today here on The Bottom Line, Ezra and Nehemiah, the focus on rebuilding what's ruined. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. The author is Dr. Ian Duguid, who received his PhD at Cambridge University and his MDiv from Westminster Theological Seminary and his uh, undergraduate degree at the University of Edinburgh. He's the author of Ezekiel and the Leaders of Israel, Esther and Ruth, Daniel and Song of Songs. Uh, he's a, uh, got a, a lot of Old Testament history here. As a matter of fact, he's a professor of Old Testament at Westminster Theological Seminary. Dr. Ian Duguid, welcome to the Bottom Line Show. Thank you. It's good to be with you. Let's talk about Ezra and Nehemiah, for example. Uh, I, I would imagine I, I always I use this line a lot, but I think it's uh, it, it's really apropos when it comes to these two books. I think of uh, uh, the late Stuart Briscoe, who just re- recently went home to be with the Lord, and he would whenever he would come to a passage like this, he'd say, uh, "Now let's turn to Ezra or Nehemiah. You'll find it on the cleaner pages of your Old Testament." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> give us kind of a general overview, since these books do kind of go together hand in glove. Well, they do, but intriguingly, we often don't treat them together. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe we can talk about why Nehemiah attracts more attention than Ezra does. Mm-hmm. But uh, originally, one book uh, with with an overarching structure that connects the, the what we call two books together. Uh, these are books that come from the end of the Old Testament period, uh, after Israel had been in exile in Babylon and had uh, returned to the land, uh, and uh, and were trying to rebuild and uh, hence the title, Rebuilding What's Ruined. Uh, And uh, I think they're very applicable to our Christian lives, because uh, even though we're drawn to what we might call the victorious Christian life books, you know, Mm -hmm. books, the uh, Exodus and the Conquest and uh, the glory days of David and Solomon, uh, I I don't know about you, but my life doesn't often look like that. Um, I'm often... I uh, often find myself living in a mass, surrounded by people who are a mass, surrounded by churches that are a mass, uh, <laughs> wondering, you know, how, how do we get here, and, and is, is there any hope for us? Yeah. Uh, and I think that th- this book, Ezra Nehemiah, is written to people who are dealing with discouragement. They got very excited when they returned back to start rebuilding, uh, but then they quickly discovered that life is really hard. You know, mm-hmm. they're living in somebody else's empire, uh, and they're trying to rebuild the, you know, the temple and all of the structures that go with that. Uh, and on every side, there's somebody opposing them, mm-hmm. and there's bureaucracy. I mean, we, we, we know nothing about, you know, politicians slowing process down at all, do we? Um, and, and enemies and traitors and their own weakness. 
And uh, yeah, it's very tempting in a day, day like that to kind of withdraw from the whole uh, building God's kingdom uh, work and uh, just to settle on rebuilding your own house and, yeah. and trying to, uh, to build your career and your family. But I think this book uh, encourages us, challenges us, and gives us a very realistic perspective of what we should expect life to be like. Boy, and, and I wish that weren't true, but I, I, I hear and resonate with every word you're saying. Dr. Ian Duguid is my guest today here on The Bottom Line, and we're talking about his brand new uh, book called Ezra and Nehemiah, Rebuilding What's Ruined, taking a look at these two Old Testament books that were once one. Uh, we've got a link for it up at thebottomlineshow.com. Uh, talk to the person right now, Dr. Duguid, who uh, has read through these before and kind of sees them, you know, it's chronological, well, this happened, and I understand it, and it was ruined, and now they had to rebuild it. And they kind of get stuck on things like I did uh, when I f the first started, when I first became a Christian in my late teens, early 20s. And I would read this and say, well, that's kind of a pain. How are you supposed to rebuild the wall and carry a weapon at the same time? You know, that type of stuff. <laughs> now, right. now that I've had, you know, you know, 40 or you know, four decades here to, to understand how those concepts work. Uh, do you get the sense that and I, I don't mean any disrespect by this. Do you get the sense that the American church really needs this message now more than ever? Oh, I think so. Um, particularly as as we move into a time when uh, it, it so I mean at least the myth used to be that you could go and, and plant a church and gather people together and within three years you have a hundred people worshiping together and mm -hmm. it was you know so long as you were faithful and you preached the word everything would go well right um, I think we're heading into a time where being church uh, rather than doing church uh, being church is going to become much harder mm -hmm. uh, for us. Uh, of course, that's not news to our brothers and sisters around the world who've been right, facing that right. for many years now. Um, and uh, and in that situation, as I said, I think it's easy for us to become discouraged with ourselves and discouraged with God, because we often think that God has promised us more in terms of present success than, than He actually has. Um, you know, we think that our present existence in this world should be more heavenly than, than the Bible leads us actually to expect. Uh, and so this is a book written to people who are who are very much experiencing the muck and mess uh, of real life. Um, you know, I, I and I think some of this in seminary we don't serve our students well because we paint them this beautiful picture of the church from Acts mm -hmm. two, right. and, and 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 you know these young men go out expecting to have people hanging on every word and devoted <laughs> to the, to the teaching and the fellowship yeah. and community. Uh, and, and then they get out and they discover that instead of being landed in the book of Acts, somebody's landed them in the book of Judges. Uh, or, <laughs> and, a great way to describe it. Or, 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 or when people say to me, you know, we want to be a New Testament church. Mm, I just want to mm -hmm. say, well, which New Testament church did you have in mind? You know, yeah. Corinth with all the sexual immorality, uh, Galatia with all the false teaching. Um, mm -hmm. You know, pick a New Testament church and you, you just picked a whole bunch of problems. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, well, it, that, that's well, the nature of the Christian life. Yeah, it certainly is. Dr. Ian Duguid is my guest today here on The Bottom Line and his new book, Ezra and Nehemiah, Rebuilding What's Ruined, I think is required reading for anybody in church right now. Uh, we've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. You're talking about the New Testament churches to uh, uh, to draft off of, or, or how many churches do say that. How about Colossae? I mean, let's let's go ahead and... Uh, we, well, I heard this from somebody, and I'm not quite sure, but, you know, well, let's kind of mix a little Gnosticism, a little everything else in there, and I get the sense that you're right. I mean, that's what... We shouldn't be surprised when we see 
the Western church, but specifically the American church, kind of falling apart in certain other areas, certain areas. Not that we wish this on other people, but we begin right. to realize, well, wait, when you talk about, quote unquote, we're doing the Lord's work, we're, we're, we're worshiping right. God. I, I think we have some uh, we've got some messed up, def, messed up definitions that we just we kind of missed what the Lord was really telling us when he was forming his church. Right. Yeah, I mean, what Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation, and he's been very faithful to that promise. Um, and, and, and it is a promise, even though it's a painful promise. If you look at the seven churches that get letters written to them in Revelation, uh, the ones that have happy letters are all being persecuted. Right. Um, and the ones that are, you know, for whom life in a worldly sense is going well are the ones that are the most problems, mm-hmm. uh, like La- Laodicea, where they, they're rich, but... Yeah. Yeah, they're not spirit in spiritual terms, yeah. um, and so so I think uh, what Ezra and Nehemiah shows us is 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 the beauty of being faithful in the small things. Mm. Um, you know, we we want to make a name for ourselves. You know, we want to be uh, the next you know fill in the blank famous Christian preacher. We want to mm. have our church be a thousand people. Um, and and there's something beautiful about faithfulness in the day of small things. Uh, people who say to God, I'm going to follow you, and uh, nobody's ever going to know about it. I'm never going to make the pages of Christianity today. Uh, I'm, you know, nobody's going to write a book about me, but uh, uh, I'm going to seek to be faithful in, in the, the, the small things that you've, you've uh, given me to do, whether that's perhaps teaching a Sunday school class, uh, yeah, leading a little youth group, um, a thousand and one ways in which God's kingdom is faithfully served by his people uh, in the midst of trials and difficulties and problems, uh, but people who are faithfully plunging through the mud and doing what God has told them to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Living faithfully and living fruitfully. And, and the world's not always going to recognize that. Or as a buddy of mine who uh, was a pastor, but also uh, found a way to run, he was a, a church, he called himself a church doctor. He'd go around and do counseling and you know, with, with pastors or if there was any mm. kind of crisis, conflict resolution, that was his specialty. And he lived on a farm in somewhere in the Midwest. And what he'd done was taken the farm. He, he used to work for a guy who logged and uh, he would you know, plant trees, let them grow for 40 years and then log them. And so this guy started a tree farm. And, uh, mm. I, and I laughed and I said, well, gosh, Kent, I mean, that seems like it's going to take a long time. He says, yeah, I pulled my 13-year-old son outside and said, son, look, see all this empty land? This is your inheritance. And uh, with the with and he says, the kid looked at him and said, "What are you talking about?" Well, the fact that I'm going to, you know, we're, we're going to plant these seeds, and you know, eventually these trees are going to grow, and by the time you're old enough to really appreciate that, you're going to have a harvest. There's going to be fruitfulness. But I love the fact that he was so in tune with where God was that he wasn't looking at the right now. How do I turn this church around? You know, how do I rebrand it right. and make it more appealing? Uh, you know, there's no sex appeal in saying it's going to take 40 years for this to turn around and you won't see the late rewards of your labor. But that seems to be the, the message of Ezra and Nehemiah. We've got to get things right now and let God take care of the other stuff, not trying to make it right for ourselves by our own standards. Right. Yeah. And, and that we're not the solution the church really needs. Mm. Um, you know, Ezra and Nehemiah each have their own gifts. And one of the things that was really striking to me is how different they are from each other. Yeah. Uh, you know, Ezra is the quiet, scholarly academic. Um, you know, he would be a seminary professor in our context. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's an expert in the law. He gathers the people together and builds consensus, and uh, and there's negotiation in there. And and and, and then Nehemiah, yeah, he's 
I mean, he, he's Arnold Schwarzenegger. Right? I mean, he's going <laughs> to jump in there and bang yeah. people's heads together. And, uh-huh. uh, uh, you know, I've got a problem. After la vista, baby. We, we're, going, we're going forward. He only knows one direction, and that's forward. Right. Um, right. And, and, and you see it, you know, they both face the same problem, which is intermarriage with the, the, the local women. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, Ezra, you know, pulls out his own hair and, and hair from his beard and, and mourns and laments. Uh, Nehemiah pulls out the hair out of the heads of the guys who are doing this and says, <laughs> you know, you've got to get with the program here. Yeah. Um, and, and I, you know, I think I mean, as a culture, I think we gravitate towards Nehemiah because he right. fits our American right. model of the, of the Clint Eastwood lone cowboy hero. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but Ezra also is called by God to that leadership task. You know, leadership in the church takes a wide variety of different kinds of people. Mm. And, and neither of them ultimately achieve their goal. You know, the end of the book of Nehemiah is a real downer. Everything that Nehemiah has worked for is called into question as soon as he leaves town for just a few weeks. Um, and, and, and that's the point. Great though Ezra and Nehemiah are, they're called and gifted by God to their task. Uh, neither of them is going to bring in the promised kingdom of God. You know, both of them leave you looking beyond them to the coming of Jesus, the, the only one who combines all of the gifts perfectly and the only one ultimately who can bring to completion the good work that God has begun. Well, the book is called Ezra and Nehemiah, Rebuilding What Has Been Ruined. Dr. Ian Duguid is the author. He's also my guest, and I'll give you a little early heads up. We do have a copy of this book to give away today. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. More in just a moment. The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Dr. Ian Duguid is my guest. We're talking about his new Bible study on Ezra and Nehemiah. It's called Rebuilding What's Ruined. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we do have a copy of the book that we're giving away today, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to The Bottom Line. Again, we have one copy of this book called... Uh, Ezra and Nehemiah, and I, you're going to love this. You're really going to love this resource. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800 the number to get you through to the bottom line. We'll take a quick break, and when we come back, the conclusion of my conversation with Dr. Ian Duguid. It's coming up next as the bottom line continues. Dr. Ian Duguid is my guest today here on the bottom line, professor of Old Testament at Westminster Theological Seminary, uh, this is his second book in the Gospel-Centered Life in the Bible series. His first one was on Jonah, Grace for Saint, Sinners and Saints, and actually uh, was an award winner or nom- uh, finalist in the ECPA's 2020 Christian Book Awards. This new book on Ezra and Nehemiah is up at thebottomlineshow.com, and it focuses, the subtitle describes it so perfectly, it, it focus on, focuses on rebuilding what is ruined. Um, when we hear the word ruin, or at least when I do in this culture, Dr. Duguid, I often think, ruined as in beyond repair. And yet what we talk about here is there is a plan that God has for his people through Ezra and Nehemiah and their, both their respective giftedness. Uh, talk about the role that repentance plays and also battling that discouragement. You were just talking about uh, Nehemiah, you know, the fact that uh, you know, how many people who begin with the end in mind would say, well, gosh, why would you want to be Nehemiah if everything that you had worked for is called into question within literally weeks after you're, you're no longer being there right yeah i mean repentance is a key theme throughout these books as as the people are coming back uh 
being restored physically to the land, uh, they also need to, to turn their hearts towards the Lord. Uh, and often that's much harder to achieve than, than getting them physically back into the land. Um, we are so curved in on ourselves uh, that it, it takes a work of God to turn us away from ourselves towards God and towards repentance and recognizing and acknowledging these are the things that we've done wrong. These are the things that our culture has done wrong for generations. Uh, these are the things that as a church we've done wrong. Um, you know, repentance is not just an individual thing in these books. Uh, and, uh, but that's, that's a, a necessary agreeing with God, you know, saying, God, you're right, we are, uh, we are wrong. Um, but that then points you, and in, in the Old Testament, that inevitably pointed you towards sacrifices. That's one of the reasons why building the temple, particularly building the altar of the temple, was such a key part of, the, of returning to the land. Mm -hmm. uh, the altar was the place where the sacrifices were offered, which was uh, the Old Testament way of pointing forward to Christ as uh, mm -hmm. the ultimate Lamb of God who would come to take away the sins of the world. Uh, and uh, so uh, as they were rebuilding the, the altar, they were being reminded that uh, whatever we do to rebuild our society, we're still going to be sinful people, uh, and, uh, and our children are going to be sinful children, and our parents were sinful parents. And we need somebody to come and cleanse us of our sins. And and that was beautifully pictured in all of those uh, Old Testament sacrifices. Mm -hmm. uh, yes. But uh, as long as the temple was in ruins, they, that those pictures were, weren't in place. Mm. Is the temple of the American church in ruins, Dr. Ian Duguid? I think there's a sense in which it always is. It's a different kinds of ruins. Okay. Um, I think uh, uh, there's... The, we live in, in between the times. You know, Jesus has come, uh, he has died, he has risen, he has ascended to the right hand of the Father, he is our heavenly high priest, but we still wait for his return from heaven. And we still wait for him to finish the good work in us, right? Philippians 1.6, yeah. we are confident that, that Christ will finish that good work in us, but only on, on the day of his return or the day when we go to be with him. Uh, so, so we are broken people, and therefore the church that we join will always be a broken church. If it's not broken before we join it, by the time we finish with it, it will be broken. Uh, and so the scriptures are always pointing us beyond ourselves to Christ as our only hope in life and death. I'm talking with Dr. Ian Duguid today here on The Bottom Line. He's the author of the brand new study called Ezra and Nehemiah, Rebuilding What is Ruined. Uh, it's part of the Gospel-Centered Life in the Bible series that we've been featuring for the past year or so uh, here on the Bottom Line Show with all these different, whether it's, we're, we're taking a look at the cleaner spots of the, the Bible from First John to Jonah to now Ezra and Nehemiah. We've got a link for the series up at thebottomlineshow.com, but this book in particular. Uh, Dr. Duguid got a couple minutes left in our, our conversation here. Uh, you mentioned repentance and how it is so key to both of these books. And I uh, wonder how many people our experience we, we talk often about the joy of the lord and how that's kind of the hallmark of our faith and it doesn't necessarily mean that we can't can't be joyful in the midst of circumstances otherwise our brothers and sisters in iran and afghanistan and china would be you know doing some kind of counterfeit worship uh talk about what the joy of the lord looks like to ezra to nehemiah and how we can learn from their example yeah so so they have this uh, uh, time to uh, to gather around the read public reading of the law um, all day, basically reading scripture, which you know, again boggles our minds in the contemporary mm -hmm. church to, to oh, yeah. even the idea of that. 
Um, but as they're listening to, to the law being proclaimed, to Moses being read to them, uh, and, and the, the Lord by His Spirit is applying that to hearts, they're recognizing we have not lived up to this. Mm. Um, and that, that should be our reaction when we read the Scriptures. We should be convicted of it, because we're not people with the faith of Abraham. We're not uh, uh, men after God's own heart like David. Uh, and we're certainly not anything like who Jesus is. Um, we are sinners. But the good news of the Scriptures is that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and so on that day, as the people are weeping as they're convicted of their sins, you know, as this, uh, uh, Nehemiah says to them, this is not a day for sadness. Um, there's an, there's, there's an appropriate, you know, the joy of the Lord is our strength. There's an appropriate joy that we have in the midst of this repentance, because if we are recognizing ourselves as sinners, then we are identifying ourselves as precisely the people that our God has committed himself to, that he is a God who is slow to anger, who's abounding in covenant faithfulness, who is swift to forgive wickedness, transgression, and sins, as he says in Exodus 34, 6, and 7. Uh, he is a God who is gracious, who is kind, who is merciful. And so in the midst of genuine sorrow over the reality of the mess in our lives, there is this tremendous joy that comes because God is the God who justifies the ungodly. Uh, he takes sinners like us and uh, clothes us in the perfect righteousness of Christ and makes us his beloved children, not based on us getting our act together and finally stopping being bad people, but based on the, the righteousness of Christ imputed to us by his free grace alone. So for anyone who is, is, is I, want, I hate to say sitting on the fence, but that just kind of, you know, it seems to be appropriate. Uh, we see a lot of folks who uh, will be hesitant to embrace the good news of the gospel until they get their act together. You know, the, the message of Ezra and Nehemiah and rebuilding what's ruined does not imply in any way, shape or form that you somehow have to rebuild the temple before God will inhabit it in the sense that you're living this ungodly life, but rather when you respond to his call, then we, like we talk about the reading of the word, uh, the reading of the word leads to repentance, it leads to weeping, but that weeping is, is healing. It, it's a, it's right. cathartic, if you will. And, that, and I think getting that order is important. That, that's why these books seem so important to us in the modern church today, Dr. Ian Duke. Yeah, and I mean, another book that often gets neglected, Haggai, a prophet who's right around the same time as the early chapters of, of Ezra. Uh, the emphasis in chapter one there is the Lord says, I am with you. Mm. Now go and rebuild the temple. Not mm -hmm. uh, rebuild the temple and then I will be with you. Right. Uh, I'm with you. Yeah. Uh, you know, God is always the one who moves first in this. Mm. He's always, you know, and you see it in the parable of, of the prodigal son. Uh, the father is not standing on the porch tapping his toe saying, you better repent really well this time because otherwise <laughs> you're not coming in. Right, you know, right. He, he is scanning the horizon for the, any sign of the sun so that he can mm -hmm. run to him and embrace him and welcome him home. And, and, and that's just a beautiful picture of who our God is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. certainly is because uh, something tells me that the prodigal son in that story didn't come to his senses by himself. I mean, that, that we, we would like yeah. to think that that was there, but someone had to wave those smelling salts under his nose, you know, to get that, that get that process going. And then once it did happen, then you see God working in the natural and the supernatural. Well, great conversation today. And I'm so grateful for the work that Dr. Ian Duguid has done on this great book that will be a, a benefit to, uh, I believe, every bottom line listener. The book is called Ezra and Nehemiah, Rebuilding What's Ruined. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Dr. Ian Duguid, thank you so much for being with us today here on The Bottom Line. Thank you very much.
Well, what a great conversation, powerful uh, discussion about what happens to the men of God, the women of God, when we simply just read the Bible, when we read God's word and do what the Bible instructs us to do. Uh, the book Ezra and Nehemiah, Rebuilding What's Been Ruined, is up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we do have a copy of this book to give away. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. And it's interesting, uh, as we are just you know wrapping up, I mean, we're finally back in the swing of things now after the uh, Independence Day holiday and after having celebrated uh, Independence Day on the 4th of July and Juneteenth on June 19th, kind of Emancipation Day, if you will, the one-two punch of American liberty. It is interesting, and I mentioned this at the start of the program, one of the things that is the hallmark of our nation is the fact that we are able to uh, have religious liberty and that we do not have a national religion. That is so essential to who we are. And the reason we can have religious liberty, and a lot of secularists don't understand this, is because we have a biblical worldview of our Constitution and of our Declaration of Independence. The Declaration of Independence, first of all, establishing uh, that we are all, that our rights are given by God, basically, it's a short version. All men are created equal, endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. Now, you read that in the opening part of the Declaration of Independence, and then you also understand that there were how many different, what, 86 different iterations of this? Thomas Jefferson started writing this. It was Richard Lee, I believe, was the, was the senator who... Um, uh, from Virginia, who uh, the representative rather, who proposed that they, you know, the uh, the colonies break away from England, and that was around June, first part of June, June tenth, seventeen seventy six. From the eleventh through the twenty eighth or so, Thomas Jefferson was part of that gang of five that was charged with writing this. And like all group projects, uh, the other four guys pointed at Jefferson and said, "You write it," and he they it went through. 85, 86 different iterations, and one of them included a massive paragraph that went after King George and said, hey, look, we do not, I mean, shame on you for saddling us with slavery. It's not going to fly here. And it was during the course of the editing from July 1st through July 3rd that the Declaration of Independence wound up striking that. And so that's why you have the imbalance of all men are created equal, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, but then it took until 1862 and the Emancipation Proclamation and 1865 and the 13th and 14th Amendments that slavery ended in the United States. So, I mean, that's part of the American experiment that isn't a pretty part of our past, but, I mean, it is It is the reason why, you know, there are a lot of people who celebrate the 4th of July and celebrate independence and a lot of people who look at the 4th of July and say, hey, my family was part of the 20% of Americans who were enslaved during that time. But religious liberty... And the freedom to not be religious is what makes America great. The freedom to be a religious person, to worship as you choose, or the freedom to not have that. Uh, there are no other great nations, large nations in the world that aren't basically theocracies or that don't have a national religion. When you watch the coronation of King Charles uh, a month or so ago, that there's the Archbishop of Canterbury, there's the special religious part. Uh, I mean, it, quite frankly, it was... <laughs> Uh, it, it was a religious, it, it, the, the, the language that was even used in the coronation, including, you know, words like, uh, the, we believe that God has ordained that the king of England gets to do whatever he wants to do. And it's like, whoa, wait a minute. You're not going to hear that in the U.S. 
you're going to hear people saying, yeah, by, we, we believe that God gives us our rights and not the government. But I mean, in terms of us going so far as to say that God told the president you're supposed to run over all these people and enslave those, that you, you, you don't hear that. I mean, that, that's the beauty. And people don't realize that the reason America works best when it works best is the fact that we have the religious liberty that says you can be as religious as you want to, but we're basing everything on biblical values in the same way that God offers the gift of salvation to anyone who will receive it. I believe that people get into the, the fine hairs of, you know, did Jesus die for everyone or just die for Christians? Well, the reality is he just, he did die for everyone. However, the only people who will benefit from it are Christians. You know, it's not this universal, everything is forgiven whether you believe it or not. It's the, I use this analogy often, I'll use it again here. If I told you that your bank, the bank down the street had a million dollars in it, you'd say, of course they do, they're a bank. They gotta have money, good for them. As long as I can get a hundred bucks to go to lunch or dinner whenever I need some cash or whatever, as long as all my, my paycheck goes in and the bills get paid going out, if I can get a mortgage, whatever, car loan, that's I'm fine with that. But if I told you there was a million dollars in the bank with your name on it, and all you had to do to claim it was to show up at the bank and say, that's me, and I want that. That's the only way you're going to get that gift. And the same thing with salvation. If you, as a sinner, just like I, as a sinner, had to come to this point, where God gives you the gift of faith where you recognize, hey, wait a minute, I'm a sinner and I am going to hell if I don't do something about this sin. Oh my goodness, there's no way I could ever square my account with the Lord. What do I do? What do you do? You listen to the word of God. You, you know that the word will not come back void, just like Dr. Ian Duguid was telling us in the story of Ezra and Nehemiah. And you see the hostility when you say, wait, God told us to rebuild the wall. We're going to rebuild the wall. We're going to read the law. We're going to hear this. And people go, no, no, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. You can see some people saying, why would you not want to hear that? How can you not listen to this? But once you recognize that you're a sinner and you recognize, because God shows you, that Jesus is the only uh, means of salvation from your sin and that he is your savior and your Lord. And you say, yes, I believe that. I believe his death on the cross paid the penalty for my sin. I believe that it wiped my, my record clean. I believe that because of what Jesus did, now when God looks at me, he sees Jesus and I am being sanctified, molded into the image of what he intended for me to be. Then praise God. You have that. And I can, I mean, because of religious liberty, I can share that freely with you here on this radio program and on this podcast. The difference, of course, is in some countries, I mean, we have our brothers and sisters who are dying. They're going to prison for saying this type of stuff. Why? Because they're in countries that are theocracies where Christianity is not acceptable. So let us never forget, brothers and sisters, that the point of us being Christian in the culture is not to Christianize the culture. It's not to make everybody vote Republican or independent or peace and freedom or whatever. The whole point of us being Christians in the world where we are is to occupy where we have and to go into all the world and preach the gospel. That is the good news. That's the Great Commission. That's the bottom line on that. Uh, we're still giving away Ian Duguid's book, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800 the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, I promised this a while ago, let's get into some of the new laws here in the People's Republic of California, as if we didn't have enough. Um, the, some of the laws that are now basically, you know, the name of the game, 
And some of them are beneficial and some of them are what you'd expect from California. We'll take a look at those coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show, and my thanks again to Dr. Ian Duguid for uh, having a conversation with us on Rebuilding the Ruins, his commentary on the Old Testament prophet books of Ezra and Nehemiah, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Warming up in the bullpen, Reverend Samuel Rodriguez uh, to talk about his new book, Your Mess, God's Miracle, which is also up at thebottomlineshow.com. And yes, we will be giving away a copy of that book as well. Hey, let's take a look at some of the new laws, shall we? The new laws that have passed. This is from our friends at the San Francisco Gate. Uh, we'll put the link up at thebottomlineshow.com. These are new laws that went into effect July 1st that you may not have known about. Now, the first one to talk about is California Assembly Bill 1594. You might have heard about this one. Uh, this is the uh, Gavin Newsom uh, retaliatory against the gun agency because Texas passed a law with the abortion heartbeat bill thing. Uh, basically, it allows private citizens to file civil lawsuits against gun manufacturers for manufacturing or selling illegal firearms in California. Now, that includes assault rifles, which, quite frankly, have been illegal on a federal level for years and years. And it's political rhetoric to say, we need an assault rifle ban. We already have an assault rifle ban. Um, it also tightens restrictions on advertising or marketing guns and gun parts in the state of California. Uh, the law is currently being challenged by the National Shooting Sports Foundation. And I do find it rather ironic that uh, the, the governor did sign the bill. Um, Assemblymember Phil Ting is the guy who wrote it. He says, gun violence is now the leading cause of death among kids and teens in the U.S. It surpasses car accidents. That's not true, by the way, but that's the rhetoric that they used to pass it. Um, it's a follow-up on Senate Bill 1327, uh, which said, look, I mean, this this is something that Gavin Newsom said he wanted to do. He modeled this after Texas passed a law that said you could take action against an individual for breaking their six-week abortion ban. If, a, if an abortionist performs an abortion, a private citizen can file a civil lawsuit. Remember, civil lawsuits are a different set of rules than criminal lawsuits. Criminal lawsuit is you broke the law. Civil lawsuit was you violated my civil rights. And that's a whole... I don't want to say it's easier to get those convictions. I don't know that it is, but nonetheless, it is what it is. And and Governor Newsom actually acknowledged when SB 1327 was originally proposed that he was just kind of uh, goofing on what happened in Texas. Oh, yeah, you're going to do this with abortionists? Well, we'll do this with guns. There you go. 
Um, here's another bill that has passed now. California, Senate Bill 731, California criminals who have completed their sentences and have been conviction-free for four years will now automatically see their criminal records sealed. Now, if you could uh, commit a violent felony or a sex crime, you're not able to do that. But basically, conviction histories can no longer be shared with law enforcement and school districts. And this is a bill that says, wait a minute, um, record sealing... Um, it will help some people who maybe have had their criminal past kind of come back to haunt them. I made a mistake one time. That person would say, on the other hand, though, it can be also a little uh, unsettling because what happens if somebody comes into this country, commits a crime, they didn't really pay the full penalty for that crime, and then for the next four years, they're not arrested and convicted of anything. So now their history is sealed. So even if you did want to bring up old charges, you can't. That could potentially be problematic. So anyway, these are just two of the laws that went into effect on July 1st. In case you didn't notice, uh, we've got a link for this article up at thebottomlineshow.com. One more law to take a look at coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. You've been in an accident and the worst thing you can do is to wait to contact Stephanie at Cover Law. Stephanie frequently talks to people who waited too long to seek help with their cases or tried to handle them on their own, and by then, it's too late. Family and friends mean well, but they can give truly bad advice. Often, even trusted advisors will try and convince you to wait for more compensation. Stephanie knows the insurance companies want you to wait. They don't want you to file police reports, and they don't want you to reach out to Stephanie at Cover Law. That's because Stephanie is keenly aware of the tactics they use and why. She spent 20 years litigating for insurance companies and knows the strategy they will use to minimize their liability and your awarded amount. Insurance companies are for profit. They don't share Stephanie's Christian values, and typically they won't be fair to you. Don't deny yourself the ability to get better. Go with a proven expert in the field of personal injury and contact Cover Law at kbrightradio.com slash C-O-V-E-R today. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, our first full week in July that doesn't have a holiday in it, and I'm glad that you've tuned in today. Uh, we're still taking your calls on Dr. Ian Duguid's book on Ezra and Nehemiah, Rebuilding What's Ruined, uh, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. It's interesting to me to see the number of people um, who look at laws and they'll say, wait, when did that happen? If you don't have a chance to pay attention to uh, what's happening in the California state legislature, state assembly, or the state Senate, um, here, one bill that passed, Senate Bill 301, third-party sellers are now going to have a tougher time operating online. Uh, Senate Bill 301 cracks down on organized retail theft and the sale of stolen goods on the internet. Evidently, that's a, a big deal. And uh, high-volume third-party sellers are now required to disclose bank account details and their names online to marketplaces. And then after a sale, they also have to share a physical address with consumers. Um, someone could steal something, turn around and sell it, make money, and you wouldn't know whatever happened, the transaction. So uh, that's actually, for once, the People's Republic of California has done a good job on that one. So here, here, that law is up at thebottomlineshow.com, and I encourage you to check it out. Um, just a couple moments left in our uh, 
call call in for the Ian Duguid book, but I want to give you a little uh, heads up here. When you go through a challenging season in life, and maybe that's where you find yourself today, Dr. Samuel Rodriguez is going to join me on the other side of this break to talk about why it is so important for us to keep an eternal perspective when you're going through a tough season. When you're in the middle of uh, what was the old uh, adage, you know, the, 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 there's a, a, a meme that was circulating years ago before memes were popular that has this big, long, flowy thing about, uh, you know, business planning and corporate leadership and blah, 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 blah. And then at the bottom, it says, however, when you're up to your neck in alligators, sometimes it's important to remember that the reason you went in there was to clean the swamp. And <laughs> sometimes I think as Christians, we get so hung up on the mess and we're trying to clean up the mess that we don't realize that when we go through a tough gauntlet type season, that there's a reason for it. You know, maybe we didn't plan on being in a messy situation, but take a look at the life of Joseph who spent half his life in slavery before he became Pharaoh's number two and wound up delivering uh, Israel. So I, it, whenever you get into a messy situation, remember that your mess could be the entree to God's miracle. And that is the thesis of Samuel Rodriguez's new book. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. On the other side of this break, we're going to get into a conversation and give you a chance to win this book as well. It's called Your Mess, God's Miracle. The process is temporary. The promise is permanent. Uh, by the way, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. And Crystal is standing by ready to take your call. For our KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your day. Uh, you've got Rabbi Schneider and Discovering the Jewish Jesus coming up next. For those who remain on the network, you want to hear my conversation with Reverend, Reverend Samuel Rodriguez because your mess is about to become God's miracle and the process you're going through, remember, it's temporary, but the promise is permanent. We'll get into that conversation coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Well, special guest joining me today here on The Bottom Line Show, Pastor Samuel Rodriguez is a speaker, pastor, as I mentioned, best-selling author, movie producer, and civil rights activist. He is one of the, uh, uh, Time Magazine has nominated him to be one of the most 100 most influential people in the world. He is the pastor at New Seasons Church in Sacramento, and he has a brand new book out that just came out and has the best title I've seen for a book in quite some time, because how many times do you look to God for a miracle and all you see around you are obstacles and debris and just kind of a mess. The book is called Your Mess, God's Miracle. The process is temporary, but the promise is permanent. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Pastor Samuel Rodriguez, welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. My friend, thank you for having me. Honored to be with you again. Well, we're honored to have you here, especially when you're talking about such a vital topic that really gets to the heart of where a lot of us are right now. I mean, I, I've heard the euphemism before, you can't have a message without a mess. But what happens when you're staring face forward at something like this and you're saying, God, I need a miracle. How does that work? I mean, it, a lot of times we think it's click your heels three times and just say there's no one like God and he's going to do it. But there's more to it than that, isn't there? There's a process. And as I referenced and you referenced from the book cover, the process is temporary, but the promise is permanent. I took what took place in John chapter nine, this very interesting story with a very unorthodox facilitative modus operandi to execute a miracle. Not highly recommended, by the way. <laughs> not at all. And to any preachers or speakers out there, for liability purposes, not yeah. recommended. Right. Jesus spits about that. Jesus, mm. holy spittle. Jesus spits. He takes his saliva. 
combines it with dirt, makes a mud ball, and places it upon the eyes of a man who was born blind. There are a couple of elements here, first of all. He spits. In his spittle, we know for certain, was his DNA. He literally took his DNA. It's not a metaphor now. He literally took his DNA. He combined it with dirt. Now, we know from Genesis 2-7 that God made man out of dirt. So he went to the original blueprint, the original design. He combines his DNA with the original design, places it on the man's eyes, and that we could use as a biblically substantiated metaphor. And this man who was born blind, for the first time, opens up his eyes and he sees. There was a mess. Behind the mess, there was a miracle. I wrote this book for anyone who has ever had a messy circumstance in their life. Mm-hmm. In your family, your home, your marriage, your calling, your generation, your finances, your health. Even America's mess right now. Can we come in agreement by faith through Christ and believe that there is a miracle behind the mess? And the answer is yes. Pastor Sammy Rodriguez is with me today here on The Bottom Line. The book, Your Mess, God's Miracle, is up at thebottomlineshow.com. And this has to be a first, first time we've ever done uh, any kind of conversation about here's mud in your eye. I mean, but it's brilliant. I mean, you think about this because you start with the, 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 the whole issue here. And oftentimes when we're looking at a mess that we're in and we're looking at the miracle that we're hoping for, uh, the first step is it's, it's so obvious, the idea that we have to realize the man born blind needed to see. He had to recognize he was blind first before there was going to be any sort of solution here. Talk about why we we miss that. We just got to look around and we're so busy spiking the ball in the end zone that we forget what the line of scrimmage is when we start. Completely correct. And this man, by the way, did not receive a sight that he once had. This is very different. The other miracles of Jesus, Jesus was fully engaged in the vast majority of his miracles, in a very restorative element of his nature. Mm-hmm. For example, the woman in the issue of blood, he restored her health. With Lazarus, he literally restored his life. Right. Uh, with the other blind man in Mark, he restored his sight. With this man, Jesus gave him something he never had before. It is a functional ontological extension of the divine nature of providence, the ability, the inclination for God to give you something you never had before. 2 Corinthians 5.17, when you are in Christ Jesus, you are a new creation. Isaiah yeah. chapter 43, behold, I do a new thing. So it is God's commitment. Sometimes we get so focused on renovating the past. Even as Americans, we really want to go back to the good old days. Right. You know, can, can we go back to the past? And God is not interested in renovating your past. He's interested in <laughs> releasing a glorious future. So I love how this story speaks to our current reality and and infuses us with hope for even our current political, social, even personal uh, landscape. Reverend Samuel Rodriguez is my guest today here on The Bottom Line, and his book is called Your Mess, God's Miracle. The process is temporary, but the promise is permanent. The book is just now out, and we've got it up at thebottomlineshow.com. One of the things that we don't think about when would these miracles happen is oftentimes we'll focus so much of the miracle. Here was a blind man, his sight has been restored, praise God. That's the end of it. But you don't realize there's so many things that are actually happening here. And the fact that one of the things that we can oftentimes you talk about, you know, the people who want to go back to the good old days and the way things were like in America or in my church or, you know, just in the culture on the whole, we sometimes we when we do get this new site, when we do get the miracle, it helps us to see not only what we wanted to see, but also some of the things that we hadn't been seeing 
previously. Talk about that, why that fresh perspective is so important in the miracle process. That fresh perspective is everything, to see what we've never seen before. I love the promise in 1 Corinthians 2.9, what your eye has yet to see, or your ear has yet to hear, your mind has yet to imagine, is, is literally what God has in store for you because you love him. Jeremiah 33.3 doubles down on that in the Old Testament. It's the reality of a new perspective, a fresh lens, for us to see things from a different worldview. And that's what a, a relationship with Jesus actually does for each and every one of us. It opens up our eyes. We, we're all blinded by sin, blinded by shortcomings, by fear, angst, trepidation, depression, anxiety, whatever it may be. A personal relationship with Jesus will open up your eyes to see what you've never seen before in your life, in your family, in your community, in your generation, even in your nation. But it requires us doing what this man did. You have to give God access to your dirt in order for God to give you access to your destiny. And, mm. and that, that's, that's critical. You have to give him access to your dirt. In return, he will give you access to your destiny. But, well, I love this story. I actually illustrate this without using human spittle, of course. But I, I, I do major conferences, just spoke at Gateway in Dallas, and illustrated this. The fascinating element is that after Jesus spreads the mud, on a, this is a double-blind study, by the way. Sorry, I had a different comedian. So uh, it's a double-blind study. The man is more blind. Jesus makes him even a bit more blind and blinds him even more. And then Jesus does not wash him himself. Jesus says, now go wash yourself. Mm. Like, who does that? By the way, I've given you everything you need for your miracle. Now, now put some skin in the game. Jesus did everything for us on the cross and through his resurrection. All we need to do is accept him with a sincere heart and just live out that life that's found in him, exclusively in him. But this idea of perpetual entitlement that completely saturates our culture in this generation, where we want everything without having to accept Christ, without having to embrace biblical truth, it's just, of course, it's counterintuitive. I love this message. There are things that you need to do to, do, to learn to do by yourself. Pray for yourself. Worship even when you're wounded. Praise even when you're broken. Believe God even when things are, are not perfectly aligned and every I is not dotted, every T is not crossed in your life. Are you willing to walk with your mess and go to the pool, go to the place of prayer and faith and hope and just confide in the finished work of Christ, Hebrews 10.23, I rest in the certainty that Jesus is faithful to fulfill what he promised. You know, it's amazing, I'm talking with Pastor, Pastor Samuel Rodriguez today here on The Bottom Line about his book, Your Mess, God's Miracle, which is up at thebottomlineshow.com. You have a chapter in the book about uh, opening your eyes to God's original design, and I'm thinking to myself, well, wait a minute. I mean, that original design that he has for us, when you talk about how Jesus completed the work on the cross, when Jesus basically healed this guy but said, you go wash, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead and told everybody, get those bandages off him, clean him up, man. He's been in there for four days. He stinks. I mean, the idea that the work has been done, but there's still some things that we need to do. And do you get the sense, Pastor Rodriguez, that we're missing sometimes out on the miracles simply because we're sitting there waiting for God to do everything when God's done everything he needs to do? Unfortunately, my, my wife is, uh, has a strong inclination calling uh, to purchase, meaning uh, uh. she just loves to shop. <laughs> so I, I kid you not, every day I pass by the entrance of my house looking through the outside doors, looking for an Amazon package to arrive. <laughs> and 
And and I go, honey, but it's, there's, there has to be like, you know, this we could pick up at CVS. Yeah, but it's easier. If I, okay, I get that. All right, wonderful. Mm-hmm. So, but that package is outside my door. It's been paid for, delivered. It's literally outside my door. If Sam or Eva do not open up that front door and pick up that package, that mm-hmm. package will stay in front of my door. Jesus paid the price completely in full. He delivered it completely delivered it via the conduit of his word, the, 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 the emergence of the church, the working of the Holy Spirit. All we need to do is, in more ways than one, even spiritually speaking, open up that door, bring in the package. But it's been paid in full. It's the same thing, exactly what you referenced. Lazarus, hey, I resurrected him. Y'all need to just loosen him and let him go. Remove the old grave clothes. There are things that we need to do not to pay for it, but to open it. And there are so many miracles waiting for you and I just to basically open them. In other words, we may not be waiting for a miracle. There may be a miracle waiting for us. Hmm. Boy, when you put it that way, (laughs) I'll be looking for more of those miracles for sure. Reverend Samuel Rodriguez, my guest today here on The Bottom Line, your best God's miracle process is temporary, but the promise is permanent. It's a brand new book from Pastor Rodriguez. It's up at thebottomlineshow.com. More of this conversation in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. You know the old expression, a picture is worth a thousand words. Well, if you're an expectant mom and you go to a pregnancy health center that is in partnership with Preborn, one picture can say way more than that. And that picture I'm talking about is an ultrasound picture. Every donation that goes to Preborn goes to providing ultrasounds for women who are expecting children and they want to know what all of their options are. When you call 833-850-BABY right now, you give a gift of $28 that provides one ultrasound. But if you give a gift toward the purchase of an ultrasound machine, now that's a $15,000 investment, but every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts a minimum of 10 years. That's 2,500 ultrasounds available to women right now. Think of all the babies, thousands of babies' lives that will be saved by your donation to preborn right now. Call 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Make your best donation right now. $50, $100. Maybe you want to give $15,000. It's completely tax deductible. We've had a couple of bottom line listeners step up and do just that. 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn right now. Pastor Samuel Rodriguez is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh, pastor, speaker, best-selling author. Uh, Time Magazine has named him one of the most 100 influential people in the world. Uh, He lives in the Sacramento area, leads New Season Church. How long have you been pastoring there now, uh, Pastor Samuel? 13 years. Lucky 13. Oh, nice. That's so. It's wonderful and encouraging to hear uh, that that ministry is thriving the way it is. The brand new book, Your Mess, God's Miracle, is up at thebottomlineshow.com. We're talking about John chapter 9, the, uh, uh, the, the, the mud in your eye, the spittle on the ground, you know, very unorthodox way that Jesus healed a blind man. But in this whole scenario, we are literally seeing, uh, literally and figuratively, how we can miss miracles if we have that kind of spiritual blindness that won't let us uh, see it. One of the things that you talked about early on uh, in our conversation, I want to kind of circle back around to, and that's uh, the, the, the washing factor. Uh, the fact that Jesus said, you know, here's here's the mud. It's basically taking your blind eyes and making it even worse because there's more mud in your eyes. And then he says, now take this guy and go go wash up. Talk about what the, the that cleaning up, that washing up process means in this whole uh, journey of uh, 
identifying that the miracle is permanent, even though the process is temporary? Yeah, that washing process, again, Jesus paid the price. And through the vicarious atoning finished work of Christ, we, we have been redeemed. We have to receive that redemption indeed. But that washing process is critical. And, and it's, it's, there's an element, theologically speaking, that must be preached, elevated, if not amplified, for such a time as this. It's this notion, more than a notion, more than a virtue, a truth of holiness, of righteousness, of purity, of sanctification. Not just instantaneous, theologically speaking, when you're born again, but the progressive. The one where every single day you lose a bit more of yourself. And you see more of Jesus in you, with you, for you, and through you, Galatians 2.20. Wash yourself. It's, it's powerful. Every single day, take up your cross and follow me daily. There are things in Scripture that, that we are admonished to do on a daily basis. Take up that cross. Pick up that crucified version of yourself. Renew your mind daily. Put on the armor of God daily. It's, it's what we have the ability to do through him and for him. But go ahead. Jesus, I love it. I've given you everything you need, sir, to see your miracle now. Now go wash yourself. Take a couple of steps. Go. Do it. And that's a clarion call wrapped as an exhortation, if not an admonition, for you and I every single day. Pastor Samuel Rodriguez is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. Your mess, God's Miracle, is the brand new book, and it's up at thebottomlineshow.com. Once we do have the opportunity to literally have the spiritual blindness removed and we can experience the miracle that God has given us, Pastor Sammy, let, talk about where our hearts need to be. You mentioned earlier the idea of uh, uh, worshiping even when you don't necessarily feel like it. I was thinking about the an article I read recently with Pastor Andrew Brunson, who was uh, in prison for many years simply because of his faith, and he said there got to be a point where I felt like I didn't know if my prayers were being answered, so I made myself worship. I made myself sing. I made myself, you know, offer uh, just words of praise to God. He said, I even made myself dance, which is embarrassing. But, uh, you know, here I am in my prison cell, dancing before the Lord. Talk about why worshiping Jesus at the end of the miracle or at that part of the process is so essential for us to, I don't know, to kind of put a, a stamp on it that says, yes, I get it, I understand it, and I'm acknowledging that Jesus did this. Visualize for a moment a blind man in Jerusalem, a blind man who everyone recognizes blind, with mud in his eyes, walking towards a pool. What would others say? Hmm. What would others be thinking? A broken praise is still a praise. Yeah. A, wound, a wounded worshiper is still a worshiper. A leader who is bleeding is still a leader, which means the circumstance is not the finest. Audacious faith is the kind of faith that says, I know I'm walking with a mess, but there's a miracle behind that mess. And a matter of fact, it may look like a mess superficially to those that don't know what's going on, what God is doing in me, with me, for me, and through me. But it's, it's actually a miracle with mud on it. I'm no longer even going to call it a mess. I'm going to call it a miracle with mud on it. And all I need to do is reach a place in obedience, in faith, in trust, in hope, in Christ where I'm able to wash myself, fully see what God has in store for me, and that mess becomes a miracle. When we talk about the, the process being temporary, but the promise being permanent of experiencing a miracle in the middle of a mess, one of the things you write about in your book, Your Mess, God's Miracle, is the fact that once you do have this vision, once the miracle has been received, it's not old you getting a miracle, 
it's new you because you begin to see your identity in Christ more clearly. Talk about what you mean by that. It's your new identity. It's not the old you. It is definitely the new you. From Isaiah chapter 43, repeated again in Philippians, and, and elevated in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, is doing away with the old you. Ephesians chapter 4 is explicit there. Do away with the old version of yourself. Put on the new version of yourself that's found exclusively in Christ Jesus. I love the words of the Apostle Paul. Yeah, it's the new you. Uh, the old you was blind. And I love the transfer of DNA. Hey, you know, if, with your eyes, Mr. Blind Man, you can't see. With my eyes, you will see my glory. With, with your old, the old you is a perpetual victim. The new you is more than a conqueror. The old you walked with a well-defined trauma. The new you carries a testimony. So it's the new man. It's the new you that will walk with that miracle going forward. And then that miracle becomes a great vociferously well-elevated, articulated, persuasive testimony. They looked at the blind man and said, wait a minute, aren't you? How, who did, what did you? And he said, listen, you're asking me too many questions. <laughs> I, I, I could respond just one simple way. And here it is, guys. Here it is. I was blind, but now I see. Amen. Like, drop the mic. Drop the mic. There it is. We're done. Conversation is close. Brilliant. I love that. Pastor Samuel Rodriguez is my guest. The book is Your Mess, God's Miracle. The process is temporary. The promise is permanent. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. I have to admit, by the time I got to the last chapter of the book, uh, Pastor Rodriguez, I was a little embarrassed because of the fact that I do this, and I think we all do this too. We're looking for God, not to bail us out of a jam, but we're looking for a miracle in the middle of a mess. And then we look around us and we can see, okay, I can see everything up to this point. And then there's the point of view that changes because now you look at the eternal significance of this, what this means for the future. Take the last 90 seconds of our time together and talk about why it's, especially in the cultural times that we're living in right now, where it seems like there's more pressure against Christians for being Christian, that we have to have our focus on eternity, not as a distraction from the world, but our ultimate destiny. Absolutely. Subjective bias. We suffer from myopia. And all we do is see things right in front of us, but we're not looking long-term. We're not looking all the way. That, that sort of beyond me, beyond the now, beyond this chapter, beyond this generation, what is in store for us? And we do want to become societal architects and cultural reformers, but only with the lens that way beyond this very moment, there is an eternity in the hands of Christ. There is a kingdom beyond this kingdom, beyond our current melees and reality. There is a hope that cannot and will not be denied. Hold on to that hope for you and your children and your children's children. And when you hold on to that hope, that mess becomes a miracle. Mm. Pastor Samuel Rodriguez, your mess, God's miracle, taken right out of John chapter 9. The process is temporary. The promise is permanent. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Uh, Sammy, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for the great work on the book. Thanks for being with us here on The Bottom Line Show. Thank you for having me. Many blessings. Great conversation, as always, with Reverend Samuel Rodriguez, National Hispanic Christian Leadership Coalition, and uh, the, the idea that if you're going through a, a messy, literally messy situation, um, sometimes you have to understand that uh, to get to the miracle, you have to go through the mess. Uh, the book is called Your Mess, God's Miracle. The promise is, process is temporary, but the promise is permanent. Uh, we've got a link for this book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we've got a copy of the book that we're giving away right now, 800-227-5278. 
is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, one copy of this book. And if you know someone who's going through a struggle right now, a painful situation, maybe it's you. Um, And and if you are the one going through it, uh, my my heart goes out to you. It's really, really a a challenge um, to go through a tough situation and still want to try to see God on the other side of it. But, uh, um, well, all I can say is if you're going through it right now, here's mud in your eye, right? Based on the conversation Sammy and I just had. 800 the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, I want to talk about messes. I want to talk about miracles. Talk about why it's important for us to, uh, to never lose sight of who God is in the middle of where we are. Uh, let's talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. My thanks again to Reverend Samuel Rodriguez for joining me for the past half hour here on the Bottom Line Show today. Sammy's new book is called Your Mess, God's Miracle. The process is temporary, but the promise is permanent. 800 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. You know, I was uh, Lisa and I had a chance over the uh, uh, Independence Day holiday to do something that we don't typically do, and that's just to watch TV a little bit. Uh, we uh, we actually had a chance to binge season three of The Chosen. I've seen bits and pieces of it. Heck, last August, I was invited, along with several other journalists and reporters, to go to the new Chosen set in Midlothian, Texas. It's actually the uh, training grounds for the Salvation Army. And uh, they got like 12 acres there. And during COVID, they uh, it, it, it's, it's a retreat center. They have meetings and strategy sessions. And during COVID, of course, they got shut down completely. And they were just, you know, it was just sitting there vacant. And so Dallas Jenkins and his team, uh, had been in Texas. They went to the Midlothians an hour south of Dallas, about two hours north of Houston. And they uh, they said, hey, why don't we work out a five-year deal? We're going to lease land here. We're going to finish out shooting the series here. We're going to build some sets here. And then once you're done, you know, when, once we're done um, uh, with the shooting, you guys can use this as a music park, youth camp, whatever you want to do. And so we were there. So we had a chance to watch season three. And I, the day that I was there for on-set filming, if you watch season three, episode seven, there's a scene where Judas is in a room. And it, I have to admit, it's kind of a trip watching Judas being portrayed as one of the disciples, right? You always just think of Judas as the bad guy who turned in Jesus. But at some point he was called. I mean, all 12 disciples were called and Judas was called as well. 
So you're seeing him there, and then uh, Andrew and Philip come back from going to the Decapolis, and they 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 told the story of the uh, of the, the 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 wedding feast, and it the Jewish people interpreted it one way, and the Gentiles did another, and it cre- created kind of a havoc. We got to watch that scene being filmed, and so it was kind of fun to sit there and watch it. Go, oh yeah, I remember that. That was really that was really neat. At the end of season three, we have uh, Peter walking on water toward Jesus, who's also walking on water. And you remember the situation. Storm's going crazy. The boat's going nuts. They're trying to go across the Sea of Galilee. It's only eight miles. It shouldn't have taken them that long. But the storm was so bad, they're just stuck in the middle of nothing. And as Peter walks on, or Jesus walks on water, and he calls Peter out of the boat, when Peter walks on water, in the middle of all that mess, he can walk on water as long as he's looking at Jesus. But the minute he takes his eye off of Jesus, he begins to sink and he begins to drown. And I know it's easy to say, if you're not going through a hardship, just keep your eyes on Jesus. But Lisa and I have a, uh, a phrase that we use whenever things get tough, before we want to blow up at each other or this, that, and the other thing. And we say it's eyes on me. And that's not necessarily eyes on each other, but that's Jesus saying to us, eyes on me. If your pain and struggles seem like a punishment to you, maybe you're missing an opportunity for God to showcase his glory. Scripture tells us his strength is made perfect in what? Human weakness. The mess you're in today could be the miracle God has for you tomorrow. Where's your focus? Where's your vision? Who are you looking at? That's the bottom line.